Good morning. It is an honor to be with you this morning on this momentous occasion of honoring the 30th anniversary of the martyrdom of Bishop Hike Hovsepian. And uh, for me, as part of the Flower Pentecostal Heritage Center, it is our great joy and honor to be able to preserve the stories of God's people, and not just to preserve them, but to make sure that you are aware of them because we need these stories. So I want to just share with you, I want you to go back with me for a little bit to the 1960s. How many of you remember the 1960s? All right, 1965, God was doing all kinds of things around the world. And one of the things that he was doing was working with a small group of about 30 or 40 Armenian Christians who were living in Tehran, Iran. Now, they made a request to the Assemblies of God for some help with discipleship. They were intent in serving the Lord, but it was very difficult to know how to evangelize in an area where that was not necessarily accepted. Of course, in the 1960s and early 70s of Iran, there was a, a great affinity with, with the West and there was a lot of freedom, but there was still just some concern. And so this little group of Armenians called out to the Assemblies of God and says, is there anyone who would come and help us? Responding to that call were two CBI, Central Bible Institute. <laughs> thought I'd put that shout out because we have a lot of other alumni here. Two CBI graduates, Mark and Gladys Bliss, who had been working in a leper colony in Liberia, West Africa, heard the call from this group of Armenians and responded to that call along with their children, Karen, Debbie, and uh, to be born in Tehran, little Mark. And they moved to Tehran, and together with the Armenian believers, they begin ministries to train Iranians in the way of Christ. One of the young men that was part of that small group who showed an intense desire to go beyond his own discipleship and step out into the evangelism of his Muslim friends and neighbors was a man by the name of Haik Hovsepian. Now, on October the 24th of 1969, while Hike was interpreting an English message into Persian, he felt the Lord speaking to him and he was overcome with a sense that God was asking him if he was willing to endure great difficulty, if that difficulty would lead to the salvation of Iranian people. Within the quietness of his heart, he said, anything, Lord. The next day, Hike and his wife, Takush, along with their infant son, joined Mark and Gladys Bliss and Karen, Debbie, and little Mark in the first speed the light vehicle in Iran. And they got into that little car and began to head out to Gorgon, Iran, a small village outside that had no evangelical witness, much less a Pentecostal one. And Hike and Mark had determined that that was a place that could be responsive to the work of God. And so they, they got in the car and headed there. And as they were driving, it was late at night and a, a car came up with its headlights on and blinded Mark who was driving. And what it blinded him to was a tractor trailer without lights that was sitting uh, 
partly on the road, and Mark not seeing that head-on impacted that tractor-trailer. Immediately killed in that accident were all three of the Bliss children, along with the infant son of Hike and Takush. I have a copy of the Pentecostal Evangel article that Charles Greenaway, the field secretary for Europe, Southern Asia, and the Middle East, wrote back to the constituents of the Assemblies of God on this accident. And he talks about speaking with Mark over the phone. And he, he said, he wrote this, to give you an insight into Mark's own feelings. He said to me, I have planted three seeds into the soil of Iran that I expect God to grow into a church. Also wounded in the accident, Pastor Hike had a broken leg and a broken jaw. His wife, Takush, had both legs broken. Mark had three broken ribs and cuts on his face and forehead. Gladys lay unconscious with a fractured skull, shattered hip, broken collarbone, and jaw. The Assemblies of God people went to prayer and God gave a great physical blessing to all of them. Gladys was not expected to live, but as many of you know, she did until she died last year at age 90. Now, through this accident, Mark and Gladys bonded deeply with Hike and Takush in their shared grief and continued the work that God had called them to there. The church in Gorgon was planted with the Hepsepians installed as pastors, and the family worked together until the shocking changes that shook the world in 1979, which many of you remember. When the Iranian Revolution occurred and the Ayatollah Khomeini overthrew the Shah of Iran and established the Islamic Republic of Iran. The Blisses then were forced to leave the country and it became illegal to print Bibles in Persian or to hold Christian services in the language of the people. The churches were forbidden by law to evangelize Muslims. Laws were later passed that required any non-Muslim business owners and customers to disclose their religious affiliation before doing business. In 1990, Assemblies of God pastor Hussein Sudman was executed on order of the regime. In 1993, all Christian churches were ordered to sign statements reporting to the UN Human Rights Commission that they enjoyed full constitutional rights of freedom in Iran. Only two churches refused to sign that statement, the Church of the Brethren and the Assemblies of God under the now leadership of Superintendent Haik Hafsepian, who was also the leader of the Protestant churches of Iran. In December of 1993, Assemblies of God pastor Mehdi Debaj, who had already been serving nine years in prison on charges of apostasy, often kept in solitary, and I want you to get this, in a three-by-three three cell. He was sentenced to death in December of 93, and he wrote a defense to the Iranian court on the charge of apostasy. And in that defense, he declared in detail his faith in Christ. A copy of that defense that was given to the court was leaked out and it arrived in the hands of his superintendent, Haik Hafsepian. Haik immediately went to work and circulated that defense 
around the world. It was printed fully on the front page of the London Times and partially in world newspapers around the world. If you were pastoring or an Assemblies of God minister during that time, you also received a copy of that defense. Due to the pressure that came from many nations and governments because of the ceaseless efforts of Haik of Sepian, Brother Debaz was released just days before his scheduled execution. But there was a cost. January 19th of 1994, just three days after Debaj had been released, Bishop Hovsepian left home kissing his wife goodbye in order to meet a friend at the airport. He never returned. His family called on the church for prayer. Assemblies of God Area Director Doug Clark, who is with us this morning, sent a message calling the Assemblies of God World Fellowship to prayer. We have in the archives letters from, from as diverse a place as Paul Yangi Cho uh, sending in letters of support um, all the way to small church pastors who were praying for their brother. Many in this room joined that call. Mark and Gladys Bliss at this point were ministering to Iranian refugees in England. They also fell to their knees. Eleven days later, Iranian authorities contacted the Hovsepian family, and then barely 20-year-old Joseph Hovsepian went to the police station to identify the murdered body of his father. On February 3rd in Tehran, more than 2,000 people stood for three hours in the bitter cold for the reburial of their slain bishop. Memorial services were held at Church on the Way in Van Nuys, California with Pastor Jack Hayford, at Atonement Presbyterian in Washington, D.C., and at Westminster Central Hall in London, as well as in Turkey, Norway, Germany, and Denmark. Truly a worldwide influence. Demonstrations were then held at the Iranian embassies in Seoul, Paris, and London. Thomas Trask, our own United States General Superintendent, wrote to all of us, his constituency, and said, a martyr has fallen and we are diminished by the loss. But, Pastor Bradford, God has turnarounds. And the story that you will hear today from Hike's wife, Takush, and his son Joseph will show you some of the turnaround when Mark Bliss said, I have planted three seeds in the soil of Iran that I trust will grow into a harvest. God heard that prayer and he has been moving ever since and still is to answer the prayers of a missionary from Central Assembly of God. We need these stories. Our young people, you are the reason, one of many, that we need to tell these stories because it is the stories of the consecration of our forefathers and our foremothers that will inspire and inform the challenges of the future. And as Christ's church around the world faces, which it always has, as we face an uncertain future, we are reminded by stories like that of High Sepian that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and we do not love our lives so much as to shrink from death. Before Takush comes to share some of her story, we have a short 
trailer of a video that his that Hike's sons put together in honor of their father. If you'd like to see the entire video, it is available on YouTube. Simply Google YouTube Cry for Iran and you will be able to watch the entire video. After we watch that, then we will be honored to hear from Takush Hovsepian and then Joseph will take the platform. This is Takush Hovsepian, the wife of Bishop Hike. and to be here, thank God for this opportunity. Um, I apologize for my broken English as my third language. I hope you understand me. Um, when I was a teenager, uh, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, when I heard the salvation message from preacher, I uh, gave my heart to Jesus. and. Uh, same time, I had desire to serving the Lord, and uh, just I prayed. I say, "Oh God, I want to marry to a preacher and uh, uh, serve you." I didn't know that serving the Lord is uh, not easy. Uh, so I don't go to details, but uh, very soon uh, after two years. Uh, I was almost 18 years old, one zealous Christian in capital city of Iran, Tehran Hike. Uh, he knew, unlike me, that I didn't know that uh, uh, ministries, especially in Iran, is not very easy. So for three days and night, he was fasting and praying for his marriage. Uh, for that reason, uh, uh, after three days, God uh, led him to my city. I was in another city. So um, very soon, I was 18 and he was 23 years old. We married and uh, starting our ministry uh, in Iran, among Muslims especially. It was very hard and very soon we were sent to north of Iran, Gorgon, uh, to plant a church. So uh, from first moment day, I can say that we face challenges, persecution. Uh, as a young couple, it was uh, not easy. Uh, but all the time, uh, uh, God was with us. Um, just uh, in Gorgon City, uh, we could see many times we were in the church and um, Muslims, fanatic Muslims, that they are very angry that we are there and they have church in that city. Uh, so they uh, sometimes just break the glasses of the window of the church. And most of the times they uh, write uh, threatened letters 
and say, go out of our city while you came and I want, I want to change our people, our religion. But we must trust in God. I have learned that every day, every day, we must trust in God, lean on God uh, during that times. But um, God gave us our first baby as, uh, you know, her year. But very soon we had, um, in that car accident, we lost our baby, our four children. But uh, in uh, two months that we were in hospital and another two months we are at uh, home for recovery, uh, Haik was very positive spirit, very faithful, very uh, full of love. And uh, his job was um, broke, break for that reason. Only with one straw uh, he could eat a drink, not eat. <laughs> and God knows that uh, ladies uh, like to talk more, so my mouth was open. <laughs> and, <laughs> And my legs was broken many pieces that till today I can't see the result of that. Uh, so I don't go to that details, only I want to say that he was really uh, full of love. And uh, that time we had a uh, very uh, good experience with Brother Bliss and Gladys also. Um, um, always, once a month I used to talk with uh, them and uh, Always, always, uh, they were blessing for us. Thank, thank God for them. Um, so when uh, we continue our um, ministry in Gorgon, uh, it wasn't really, it was not easy. It was not easy. Uh, so I know that uh, every, all believers, they were praying for us uh, until uh, revolution time. Uh, somebody uh, let us know that go out from this um, building because they want to come and burn the church building. But because uh, our house, it was attached to a church, so we must uh, um, move and go our one of our uh, believers' house for two, three days uh, till, sure, that was answer of the prayers that uh, again, they let us know that the, that leader that uh, he said you must go and uh, burn, change his mind. Praise God! So we uh, came home. Um, I can say that uh, during all these years, all these years, every day we learn how to trust in God. Every day, how to lean on God, and God gave us. Uh, uh, Beautiful, my children, one girl and three boys, uh, and they were very blessing for me. And Hike, uh, as a husband, I can say he was very good husband, perfect father for my four children. But not only for my four children, but for persecution families' children too, brothers for them, to father, spiritual father for them, and. Uh, uh, one day I remember Rebecca, my daughter, he, she was 23 years old, and said, I think if Jesus Christ was born in 20th century, uh, he should be like my father. That expression, he was at home, you know, 
and we could see, really we could see the fruits of Holy Spirit in him. Uh, so um, after 12 years that we were in Gorgon, um, we moved to Tehran, capital city of Iran, and uh, pressure gover from government was more and more. Uh, and Haik uh, um, was dealing with many issues, especially some Muslim converts, they were in jail, and he was very busy. Uh, with love he did, not by force. Uh, he had special passion for them. Uh, so in 94, um, that um, he was martyred. From that moment, my, uh, my life changed, you know, because uh, uh, that lovely husband, lovely father, it's not there physically, it's not there. And uh, I passed, I had a very bad time, I can say, during that time, anger, hatred, was very bad moments I passed through, but uh, God healed. Uh, I, want, I don't want to go to details and say um, how I come out. Uh, it will take hours and hours if I want to say, but only I say that God healed my heart, and especially about forgiveness that I, not by my, um, um, I was not uh, that much strong. Uh, God gave me that um, faith that and love that I could forgive them and pray for my enemies. Uh, it was a process. Uh, and uh, the church, the church was with us during that uh, uh, days, that weeks. Uh, and uh, all members, they were with us, they helped us, uh, comforted us. Holy Spirit from inside, believers from outside, uh, as like a family, that God is the head of that family and members of our sisters and brothers. Uh, so praise God that that day is also passed and uh, um, we uh, wanted to continue our ministry among Muslim converts. Uh, I believe that persecution spreads the gospel, uh, really spreads the gospel. We could see that during these years, uh, like uh, wind spreads the fire. Uh, we become much more close to God. We like, we love God more and more. And my prayer is this, that now with my whole family, we continue hikes uh, away and uh, uh, I'm honored that 28 years um, I was Hike's wife, and uh, although spiritually he is in, I know where he is, physically his place is empty among us, but uh, thank God for all God's family that he comforted us, and thank you. I know that you prayed for us, and you will pray for us. We need that. Uh, all glory go to God, and uh, I will give uh, to Joseph, my son, to continue. Praise God. It's such an honor to be here today with my mom. I think even we 
didn't have a chance to speak today. Uh, for me, it was very important to be here today so you can see the living testimony of a life and a fruitful uh, death and martyrdom. As many of you know, we have had a, uh, about 17-hour journey to get to hear from Burbank. Uh, I kind of connected with Moses and his exodus to the promised land. Uh, and <laughs> we changed about four... Uh, uh, airports and then uh, in, on air, on the transportation, and finally here. But the amazing part was when we were landing last night, uh, my mom asked me, actually told me, that if I knew that this trip would take 17 hours, still gladly I would take it and I want to be here today. Uh, so it is a joy to be uh, here today. When we uh, talk about my dad, many people know him as the martyr and one of the Iranian church's icons. Uh, but today, I think what I would like to share uh, is not a very organized sermon with points, but I thought it's better that today I share my heart as Ike's son and uh, also some testimonies from Iran uh, and some updates. And I believe that Holy Spirit, based on your personal need, will speak to your hearts. But I know there are a lot of pioneers in uh, missions here that may be more than my own life. Uh, they have been uh, in the mission field. Uh, there are some Christian scholars here and some also new believers. So uh, I uh, believe that God will speak to all of us in one way or another. Uh, when I think of my dad, for me, my dad wasn't a special man because he was martyred. Actually, he was special because he lived. He lived like Jesus. And in his actions, I could see two things that uh, I, I think it's a very um, hard balance to find in every Christian's life. Grace and truth. In his actions and some of the stories that hopefully I will be able to share with you, I saw his grace, and then there were times that I saw his courage uh, for the truth. Uh, I was 20, uh, I don't know if the slides will work, I think. Uh, okay, I think if we have the other slide, that would be okay, uh, Joseph's presentation, otherwise we'll just uh, stay on this one. Uh, my dad gave his life twice for the Lord. Giving heart to the Lord is a courageous act. When you repent, many of the youth here, when you decide to follow Christ, that's a courageous move. And that's the first time that my dad did that. But the second time was also as courageous when he stood in front of the knives that tore apart his heart for the Lord. Many times I feel uh, and try to imagine what my dad's last moments uh, were like. My mom shared very briefly about the process of forgiveness that we had to go through. Forgiveness is a beautiful word. There are a lot of songs and sermons about it, but it becomes a messy thing when you put it in action. It's like going into surgery room. There are a lot of unexpected things. There are a lot of... Uh, anxiety and not knowing how you will come out on the other end. 
But as my mom said, that was a journey that my family experienced. But I believe before us experiencing and practicing, exercising forgiveness, my dad did that in his very last moments of his life. And I believe that just like Jesus on the cross, he looked at those people that had the knives in their hands and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The church in Iran, which I had the honor of being there for about 20 years and with a uh, little camera, following my father, uh, the results of those hundreds of hours of footages came a part of in a uh, package of a cry from Iran documentary, which was viewed by millions of people, uh, winning some awards in some even secular film festivals. I know in this church it was viewed by 2007, and I believe it's one of the largest uh, mission funds were raised that day, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it's a very powerful video, which I encourage you to see. Uh, but the church was going through the book of Acts. <laughs> and a lot of times we read the Bible and book of Acts, and we think that is for future, but that is happening today in Iran. That is happening in many third world uh, countries. And I'm very glad, as my mom said, that... Believers, when they visited us, you saw me in one of the pictures hugging my mom and crying, actually not crying, because the world was kind of black to me. I was thinking to myself, will I be able to even laugh at some point after this? How will we take care of my youngest brother, Andre, who was 10 at the time? Every missionary that visited us during that time, every letter that we received, as you saw in the pictures, we received close to 2,500 letters, which my mom hung them on the uh, walls in our uh, house. They were like individuals surrounding us with their prayers, with their love, hugging us. And uh, many people that petitioned uh, for my father and other martyrs, and even the believers that today they are in jail in Iran, all of that uh, brings us closer together, and we are so thankful by it. Um, when I think of my dad, I know his martyrdom was the greatest, maybe, closing chapter of his life. But I think the lesson for me and uh, for some of us today can be that it's the smaller acts that they come together to bring that character, that personality that has such an impact. My dad with his uh, love, with his forgiveness uh, for me, just to give a quick uh, example, for example. Uh, once I, I was going to, he had to drop me off at the military service and uh, he dropped me off. It was a one hour drive. I'm about to enter the camp and I realized I forgot my hat. And without the hat, I couldn't go on the morning march, and then that would result in me uh, putting in jail for two days' punishment. So we had two hours. <laughs> I look at my dad, so embarrassed. I said, Dad, I forgot my hat. I was so embarrassed, I wanted the earth to open, and I go in, so I don't <laughs> feel that moment. But uh, then there was no store open that we could buy that hat. Then my dad lovingly looked at me and said, it's okay, I will go back and bring it. I said, but that's one hour going back, one hour driving back. He said, it's okay, I actually needed some time for prayer. This is good, don't worry, I'll go and <laughs> bring it. And he went and brought the hat and 
another time, my brother was 16, I was 18. I had just gotten my driving license, but for whatever reason, I felt it was the right time to teach my brother how to drive a car. In Iran, <laughs> you have to be 18 to be qualified, for, so he was underqualified. Anyway, we take my dad's uh, Dodge Plymouth, which some of you may know, uh, that is a lot of history with that car. So without permission, we take his car and we go on the road. And my brother being so, I guess, uh, zealous and passionate about driving, he says, before testing how to move forward, I want to test how to drive backward. So I said, no problem. We put it in the reverse uh, gear. And we go, and then I said, stop, stop, there is a car. And of course, he didn't know he pressed the gas instead of brake, and we bang in the car. So the car goes in a little, like this much damage. The other car, thank God, wasn't damaged. We hit the Land Rover's, uh, the tire holder section. We come back home, we say, okay, how should we tell that this is, we deserve a couple of slaps around our face. <laughs> so we are done with this story and this is, um, uh, so kind of trying to find a plan how to approach this with my brother. So finally we go in his room and say, dad, we did something wrong. And I really see Jesus in my dad's action because at that moment I think he noticed that we already came to him with a heart, a broken heart, heart asking for forgiveness. And he, with his soft, usual tone, he said, what have you done? What happened? He said, well, without permission, we took your car and we hit this left corner of the car has gone, like a damage this much. And, he looks for a few seconds. He says, it's okay. Take the car again and damage the other three corners, and then I'll take it to body shop. <laughs> now, that was the grace part. <laughs> uh, and obviously, with that uh, reaction, we never, ever took that car until my brother Gilbert got his driving license. Um, <clears throat> One of the reasons that has been very comforting to me over the years is that the blood of martyr, martyrs have become the seed for the churches, as Tertullian says. And through, at that time, I believe the church in Iran numbered close to maybe 2,000 people, all evangelical churches. But over the years, that number has multiplied. To this day, it is, uh, it is estimated to be several hundred thousand dedicated believers. Uh, committing their life to Jesus Christ. And I know my dad, my dad's life, his prayers have had a uh, very important position in that, uh, role in that. Sometimes it bothers me when I see Christians in the West, they take their faith for granted. Uh, even sometimes at uh, churches, uh, like people... Uh, maybe not attending the worship service or not taking it seriously as if it's just a, a habit for every Sunday. And I think if anyone feels that way, they definitely need a trip, uh, a mission trip, to see uh, how people in Iran, they value every second of their worship time. There was a seminar in Turkey that I attended and participated, and one of the people in the front row was uh, worshiping very actively, loud, and to the point that I felt a little uncomfortable. And 
kind of went to him, put my hand, like as a sign that a little maybe chill down and like <laughs> relax. Uh, then uh, he put, took me to the corner and said, but why do you say that? And I said, it's, well, it's a little maybe too much for this gathering. We don't want to cause uh, discomfort to others and all that. But when he gave his reason to me, then I uh, had nothing else to say. He said, brother, you know, for many years in Iran, in our apartment and in our house group of seven, ten people, we have been asked to not to sing loudly. We have been asked when to sing, not to jump up and down so the neighbors don't call the cop. This is finally the first time that I really want to open up to the Lord, and now you're putting a break on me. I said, oh, brother, then go all the way. <laughs> Go as loud as you <laughs> uh, can. I pray that Christians uh, in the West come out of the autopilot mode. Uh, and let's maybe care about the facility, about the organization of the church, and more about the heart and mission of the church. I praise the Lord for this church that has that heart for the ministry. As for our family, when we came to America, uh, it was very important for us to continue my dad's uh, legacy. There's a saying that says, your misery becomes your ministry. And I think that's very true about us. Because the, the hearts that once were filled with hatred, now were turned towards forgiveness, towards interceding for our enemies. And in particular, uh, when I was in Iran and... Uh, uh, okay, uh, uh, when I was in Iran and serving in military service during which time my dad actually was martyred, one of the newspapers in London wrote, the father killed by the government, the son serving the government. And it was one of the hardest times of my life, I could say, because I was away from the church, I was away from my family, alone in the mountains, surrounded by a lot of Muslim uh, soldiers. Uh, many of them were uh, very good to me. But in particular, there was one that I never forgot his face and his voice because he turned uh, other soldiers against me and he would sometimes make up with lies to make life even more uh, harder than it was already for me. Uh, he was everything that you would want to hate about a person from face to action. And I think during that time, uh, that icon was kind of in my mind my main enemy and maybe the symbol of people and the regime and the uh, dictatorship and the movement that uh, killed my father. Years passed and once in California when well, we have a ministry very much focused on uh, media ministry, producing content and a group that works with discipleship and prayers and follow-up. A phone call was forwarded to me that the person wanted to talk to me. When I picked up that uh, call, when the person said, Hi, Joseph, my whole body as if went into the survival mode again. I got a goosebump because it was the voice of that soldier. A few things very quickly goes through my mind. Is he calling now to uh, find us and now cause extra pressure, threat for us now in America and all that. But very soon when he started sharing as he was emotional, but he said that he had watched the program 
with my, my uh, mom and myself that we had in that program, particularly we had shared our story that how we have forgiven our enemies and we are praying for them. And the Holy Spirit had spoken to his heart through that program and through that message. And that brother gave his heart to Christ and later he actually became one of the key members of house group churches in Iran, uh, uh, delivering and distributing a lot of Bibles in Tehran. There are a lot of stories like this that I see life and maybe I could say Christian life in Iran is not victory to victory to victory. It's victory, but then victory to cross and then a little bit of experience, cross experience and cross to victory. And that circle continues. And I praise the Lord because I think, as my mom said, that is how the church stays alive. I'm comforted uh, that it is the prayers and it is the impact of lives like my father that has had uh, that effect. Still, as the eldest son of my dad, of course, even though it has been 30 years probably from my voice, you can hear some cracks that is because I still miss him. I, I want to always be real to myself, real to God and real to my feelings, not to over-spiritualize things, but, but just like my dad was real, he was a fun person, but at the same time I could see the grace and truth in uh, his life. Uh, a few years ago we attended a church and it was an Assemblies of God church in Utah, I believe, and the pastor showed me around, he was showing the offices, and then he showed another office, he says, this is my son's office. Uh, father and son, they both were pastors, senior and assistant pastor. As we were coming in the front row to sit, it suddenly uh, uh, put a big burden on me because I felt, wow, uh, if my dad was alive, uh, we could have been somehow maybe employees and colleagues together, partners together. But he's not around. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of maybe alone here. Uh, and as I was going through those uh, emotions, then I looked around. It was a large church, 2,000 people sitting there praying for us, uh, praying for Iran. And as I was looking at every face sitting there, Holy Spirit talked to me and said, you are actually still colleagues together. The only difference is that your dad's office is in heaven and it is still next door to you. Uh, that is how I feel. That is how I feel every day of uh, ministry, and I can't wait to meet him and many other people like Lisa's family who have had a, a big role in our life. So uh, again, I wanna say, just like one of the songs that we may hear later from my dad, uh, we must have our cross before we have our resurrection. We have to have our Calvary before we have our Pentecost. I want to end with another testimony story, and then uh, I will be on time, surprisingly, because Iranians normally are known not to pay attention to time, but today I put a timer here. Uh, <laughs> um, a couple of years ago, uh, seven years ago almost, we were attending a friend's wedding with my wife, and as we were about to enter the hall, of course, everybody looking good and ready to celebrate this wedding, suddenly uh, another couple come in, and this lady comes to me and suddenly starts hugging me, kissing my hand, 
And I have no idea what's going on. All I see is that her makeup is coming down, and Persians just do a lot of makeup. So, and when they cry, things change. Uh, <laughs> the appearance change. <laughs> or gets remodeled. <laughs> and uh, so then, uh, she cannot talk because she is crying. And then I say, uh, how are you? Says, you don't know what you have done. And at that moment, I got a little worried because my wife was next to me. And I'm thinking, have I done something wrong that I don't know? And so we are uh, just kind of confused. And then she controlled herself and said, Brother Joseph, for years we have watched your programs. And it's as if I know you for many years. And uh, I gave my heart to Christ first. We have a four-stories apartment in Tehran. And then I witnessed to the upper story, uh, who was a drug addict guy. And he accepted Christ, and he was free from drugs. And it has been years that he is free. Then I witnessed to the lower story of a neighbor, and then fourth. And all of them came to Christ. And then we wanted to... <laughs> celebrate this uh, victory and decision that we have made and we wanted to get baptized but there wasn't no anyone but we couldn't get hold of anyone because many people in Iran are still isolated believers and he said I took the uh, authority and because I was the first in the line to give my heart I baptized all of them is that theologically okay I said, well, you've already done it. I think it should be okay. <laughs> but let's praise the Lord for that apartment. So there are many, many stories like this from judges that maybe were supposed to judge a person because he was arrested with Bibles, but the judge asks the person actually to give him a Bible from hundreds and hundreds of people that have given their life to Christ in taxi and transportations, in very casual conversations, from dreams and visions that the Lord in a very specific way uses in countries like Iran to directly uh, show His love the way the truth to the people. So for all of this, we praise the Lord and I pray that one day all of us in heaven will come together. I'll be able to introduce you to my dad and thousands and thousands of Iranians that have come to the Lord. Bless you and we'll be here. Thank you.